Well, welcome to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Hope you had a chance to recover from a wonderful holiday weekend. Uh, you know, uh, and I say holiday weekend sincerely because I realize with the 4th of July showing up on the uh, Tuesday that a lot of people just go ahead and take, uh, you know, four breaks or you know, four days off or five days off. So maybe you're just now coming back from the holiday or maybe you're still on vacation and you're listening. But Today is Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show, and we got lots of stuff to give away. As a matter of fact, we have two copies of the book for our first guest today, John Parrott. We're going to be talking about social media and young people and the influence that it really does have on them. Uh, so you could just start dialing right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Also, Leela Gilbert is going to join us. We're going to be talking about heroic faith, and we have a copy of her book to give away. That means we're up to three now on the giveaways, 800-227-5278. And because it's Everyone Wednesday, we've got new, it's the new month has just started this week. So Dr. David Jeremiah devotionals are available for giveaway. Everybody who calls today is going to win something. So if you're listening for the first time, we do this every Wednesday. Everyone Wednesday is what we call it. And uh, it's a great opportunity for you to get a chance to win something from us, something that will benefit you in your spiritual growth and your walk with the Lord, um, just finding out you know, how life really does work. And uh, this first story that we're going to get into here is a bit graphic. It, it, it involves the number of young people who are becoming uh, more inclined to be transgender. Um, one study now says that as many as 5% of the young adult population uh, identifies as transgender um, or non-binary. Uh, the, the number in some reports actually has gone as high as one out of every five, you know, which makes it closer to 20%. But the reality is more and more people are identifying this way. And so for us as Christians to just kind of turn the other way, pretend it doesn't happen, we don't know, you know, what, what's happening in the culture, we really need to be wise to what's happening. So the numbers are growing and there a, a vast majority of Generation Z, especially those who are kids ages 12 to 25 or 26, will identify as transgender. They're not necessarily looking to have surgery. surgery. They will, uh, they'll, they'll just identify and say, well, I know somebody who is this way. And so therefore it, it is what it is. I was thinking about my own kids. Uh, Lisa and I have six between the two of us. And I can think of at least two who have friends who have come out either as queer or non-binary or, you know, whatever. Um, I also remember, this is 20 years ago when my kids were in high school. Each one of my biological children had a friend in high school who came out to them. And I remember when they did that, uh, they were kind of like, you know, it was no big deal. I mean, they just, they felt safe. They could trust me. I thought, what a great Chris Christian witness that these people knew that my kids are very strong, baptized believers, Bible-believing Christians, and yet they let the love of Christ flow through them, not to the point where these people felt, you know, judged and condemned, but actually they felt like, hey, you're a safe person to talk to about this. And I know some people would say, well, yeah, then they should have immediately prayed, had these people pray to receive Christ and repent of their sin. But I thought, well, now wait a minute. Maybe God has them on this journey and maybe it's going to take a while for them to get there. Maybe like the prodigal son, they have to wander off and spend their fortune and get to the point where they're starving and they're feeding pigs uh, pods. And all of a sudden they say, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way. Um, I'd rather have them hanging in there in their relationship and, and knowing that they're not being 
condemned for their sin because you know that's the Christian witness there is that God doesn't condemn us uh, when he offers us the opportunity for eternal life and if we return and repent from our sin. But then you've got the number of people now who are getting into this gender affirming care as it's called. And one of the big stigmas that we hear often, it's, it's, it's actually a threat, it's a bullying cry. And that is, if you don't let kids who identify as transgender go through, quote unquote, gender affirming care with hormone replacement and surgery and this, that, and the other thing, they're going to all commit suicide. Statistically, the last study I read said that 82% of kids who experience what we used to call gender dysphoria um, have thought about ending their lives. But that's much different than saying, I'm suicidal. If you've ever talked to somebody who said, man, I had depression uh, after I had surgery, a mom who had postpartum depression, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's clinical depression and you've dealt with it, you know that clinical depression is real. It is no joke. It's not to be messed around with, but there are ways to treat it. And just because somebody says, I thought about ending my life doesn't mean they actually are going through with it. In all honesty, I, I think if you surveyed 100 people, you'd find that most everyone at some point or another has said, yeah, I thought about, you know, Oh, my life is so hard. I wish I wasn't here anymore or that type of thing. But the so-called gender affirming care, which involves the mutilation surgeries that are becoming outlawed in more and more states, we're being told that this is the best way to help the transgender youth. So you can imagine the surprise that I found and experienced when I read a report by a guy called Ben Johnson in a publication called The Washington Stand. I'm not familiar with WashingtonStand.com other than I've seen a couple of articles posted there. Might have even been one from uh, Leela Gilbert. Oh, you know, I knew it was Leela Gilbert. That's where I first found out about it. The Washington Stand, in case you're wondering, is the Family Research Council's outlet for news and commentary based on a biblical worldview. So a group of experts in Germany did a study, a peer-reviewed scientific journal study that showed up in BMC Public Health. The head of a facility that carries out so-called quote-unquote gender-affirming care has published this study and it confirms that transgender surgeries do not improve mental health and make people actually feel lonelier than those who avoided it altogether. Here's what's so amazing about this is what have we been hearing from the, the totalitarian left over and over and over and over and over and over again about the transgender conversation. We have to get kids in for surgery. We have to get people in for surgery because if they're literally trapped in the wrong bodies and if we don't get them out of being trapped in the wrong bodies, they're going to commit suicide. This research, uh, the journal called Healthcare, simply called Healthcare, I was published on May the 11th. It's hyperlinked in this article in the Washington Stand. But this is peer-reviewed, and here's what the head of the study had to say. Quote, our data indicate that transgender and gender-diverse people who have undergone gender reassignment surgery actually feel lonelier than transgender-identified people who have not elected to have surgery. In addition, the level of life satisfaction in transgender people was not increased in transgender people who had undergone gender-affirming surgery as compared to those who were unoperated. So let that sink in for a minute. We've been told that 
It happens with kids. It happens with adults. This is all people. <laughs> the, the thought is, if you just go under the knife, if the guy just has his stuff removed, if the girl has her breast taken, everything's going to be fine. And yet, here's what they found. The German experts collected data informing both studies from those seeking transgender surgery at a Hamburg surgical center. Now, the study was conducted among 104 different patients. Obviously, the sample size is going to be smaller because there aren't as many people looking for this. But basically, this is, this is very interesting. The researchers also found out that those who identify as members of the opposite sex experience greater isolation if they played sports. Higher loneliness levels were significantly associated with already having had gender reassignment surgery and spending more than four hours a week in sports activities compared to more, no sports activity at all. So do you get the sense that a lot of this transgender-driven stuff and the sports and the athletes, this, that, and the other thing, really has more to do with doctors who want to perform surgeries and less with people and their quality of life. The most recent study also found that um, people who identify as transgender have lower overall life satisfaction than the general population. Young people suffering from gender dysphoria have worse mental health than older people. 31% of transgender identifying people felt either dissatisfied or extremely dissatisfied with life. 17% said they were satisfied. Just 1% said they ex were extremely satisfied. People who identify as tra transgender, are you ready for this? The difference between extremely satisfied and extremely dissatisfied is 1,300%. But there's a caveat here. The people who had higher levels of life satisfaction were typically older. And you'll see that transgender youth, and this is all from this peer-reviewed study, said that transgender youth have a disproportionately high rate of depression, anxiety, suicidality, and non-suicidal self-injury. Now, how very, very interesting to see that even in places like Sweden, where transgenderism is held of the highest regard, quote, people with transsexualism after reassignment have considerably higher risks of mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population, not just people who identify as transgender and then um, are waiting to have the surgery. And yet, members of the transgender surgery industry will insist that children will in fact commit suicide unless parents agree to submit their children to life-altering surgeries. We'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's so very, very insidious what the left is doing here, but what's even more dangerous is the fact that the number of parents who are looking at this study and saying, oh my goodness, if I don't do something, my kid's going to die. But where did we get that idea in the first place? As we continue, uh, going to get into it with John Parrott, the author of a brand new book on teens and social media. Is it possible that social media is driving 
this current trend? We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, today on the bottom line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that is ostensibly for younger people, but I know it's going to help all of us because of the fact that social media has become the order of the day. If you go to our website, you'll find out that you can follow us on a variety of different social media platforms, and many people get their news of the world from social media. So why is it then that social media makes such huge promises in terms of accessibility and friendship and connectability, and then it leaves people from teen years to all the way up to adult years feeling kind of sad and anxious and somewhat even lonely. Joining me today on the program uh, to have a conversation about this issue is Dr. John Parrott. He is the Director of Resources for Reformed Youth Ministries. He served in student ministry for over 20 years and still hasn't gone out of his mind yet, which is a miracle for anybody who works in youth ministry that long. He is the host of the Local Youth Worker podcast, the author of several books, and he is the author of a brand new one that I couldn't wait to have a conversation about because I think it's going to help all of us, not just those of us with teens or preteens in our world. The book is called Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. John Parrott, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, thank you so much for having me. And I guess it depends on who you talk to about me losing my mind or not. Some people might say that I've done it. So I appreciate you having me on today. Well, thank you for being here. I mean, the screen time factor is something that as parents, we used to be concerned about with our kids. But now if you ask my wife, she'll say, if I was ever worried about Roger stepping out on me in marriage, it wouldn't be with another woman. It would be with his smartphone. Um, because I do spend an awful lot of time staring at that screen and guilty as charged. Um, talk about the statistics. How bad is it, John? I mean, in terms of, I think all of us has our own little anecdotal, gosh, my kids are always on their phone type of moment. But what do the stats tell us? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, as far as anecdotally, just first, yes, I have um, five children. Two of them are teenagers. And so, yes, I can say it's a battle <laughs> in our own house. But you know, it depends on where you look. I mean, it's kind of anywhere from, you know, maybe five hours uh, to eight, maybe even nine mm-hmm. hours of screen times a day. And so, um, you know, that, that's getting into basically most of the waking hours for teens today where they're spending time on their devices. And, of course, we know um, adults struggle in this way, too, as you, you're talking about. So, uh, you know, these devices, they're just, as many of us know, they're they're very powerful and they're created by some of the, the leading engineers in the world and they're designed to keep us connected to them. And so mm-hmm. it's it's challenging to say the least, for sure. It's interesting when you use that term, John, the fact that these devices are designed to keep us engaged because it, it's... I. I worked in the restaurant industry for a number of years, and I was very surprised to find, I mean, I was a little naive when I started working at a fast food place in high school, but then got into what the management and the psychology and everything in terms of the way the food is prepared, the way the uh, employees are dressed, the decor of the restaurant, uh, even just the comfort or lack thereof of the seats. The restaurant experience is not designed for you to go in and have a really a good time per se, as it is for you to want to keep coming back, keep engaging with it, But especially in the case of like a coffee place or fast food, it's designed to get you out the door so they can get more people in. You know, I mean, that's ostensibly. And I think with social media, the promise was you're going to have all this access to information. You're going to find truth. You're going to find justice. You're going to find connection and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you begin to realize that and, and young kids don't realize this is happening, but maybe adults don't either. The the whole purpose of social media is to get you to keep 
staring at the screen, to stay stuck to it too. Talk, talk about why that creates pressure for young people, even for older people too. Oh yeah. Well, well, I mean, like you said, I mean, the, the currency of social media is our attention. Um, that so many of the mm. social media platforms, they, you know, are quote unquote free, um, as you know, people say, but we're actually paying through our time and through our attention. And so the more we can be drawn into these things, the, the more uh, these these companies are, are making off of ad revenue and, and things like that. And so as far as the pressures that kind of come from that, you know, there's the fear of missing out, which has been spoken of, um, you know, for a while of students getting on Instagram, for example, and they see all these pictures of all their friends going and doing something while they're sitting at home uh, looking at these things. And not only that, but as they share various things on uh, whatever platform they're they're on, uh, they can see that others are uh, getting more likes or others may have more followers. And so just, you know, there, there's so many pressures that come through so much of this, not to mention addiction. Um, and so, yeah, it's just all from, you know, the amount of time that they spend on there. And, you know, the longer they're on there, there's kind of this illusion that maybe if I search a little bit more, I'll find what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, ultimately ends up making them feel feel empty and lacking. Yeah, it's it's interesting talking to John, Dr. John Parrott today here on The Bottom Line about the brand new book that he's written. It's written for teens. But there's a benefit to anyone who uses social media. The book is simply called Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. It's a 20-part devotional that kind of walks you through a, you know, a, a bit of a Bible study to understand the things that are happening in the culture right now and how uh, understanding how digital technology works can help make for a better social media experience for people of faith. Um, I love the way you start out by encouraging the teenagers they, there are five things that they need before they start doing this. And I'm sure some of them are saying, I, I need a what? I mean, what, what what exactly is that that you need us to have? Walk us through. The, us old timers are going to say, well, duh. I mean, that's how we would have done a Bible study back in the day. But but talk about those, those things that you encourage kids to have, because it's possible they may never have actually seen what you're talking about before. And I don't mean that sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And, and definitely... You know, some of these five things that are mentioned that you need at the beginning are fairly countercultural. Um, trying to to encourage students that the five things are a Bible, a pen, a quiet place, a slower pace, and then number five is an alongsider. And I can talk more about that in a minute, but yeah. that's basically just a mentor. But be yeah, encouraging you. You know, so much of the world that teens inhabit today is online. Um, that it's mm-hmm. not physical or uh, tactile. And so we are tactile, physical human beings. We need to interact with certain things. And so encouraging students, you know, pick up a physical Bible. Um, and actually just some encouraging research that came out through Barna, it shows that teens today actually prefer a physical, real Bible as opposed to a Bible app. And I'm not saying Bible apps, they're very handy and they're helpful for sure. But teens actually uh, prefer a a paper Bible. And so not only encouraging students to get a paper Bible, but then also um, a pen just to, to underline. I mean, ne- ne- neuroscience has shown that we actually engage different parts of our brain when we're actually holding a pen and underlining and making notes. And so, um, yeah, that's part of some of the encouragement there as well as, you know, a quiet place. Uh, that's so much of our life. It's just busy. It's filled with noise. It's filled with just all sorts of calendar events. And so to find a place uh, where 
can be quiet, where you can be alone with the Lord, with his word. Um, and then again, a slower pace, just trying to slow down a little bit. Um, so yeah, some of these five things uh, are designed to try to kind of push back on some of the, the ways in which the culture is headed. Yeah, I, great counsel. And you know, I, I, when I first read them, I thought, well, that's silly. I mean, not not silly, but it's like, okay, this is <laughs> going to be like, you know, you see those things on TikTok where it's like, uh, you know, Generation Z tries to figure out a rotary phone or, you know, whatever. And it, it made me kind of <laughs> chuckle. But hearing you describe this, and I know, and I could say this anecdotally, but, uh, you know, personally, the moments when I get a chance to do Bible study, and I think of the times I've got, uh, because of my seminary training and because of you know, my pastoral ministry, I have Bible study helps. I have, I don't know how many different copies and different translations of scripture. But how often when I'm preparing a sermon, do I just go to Bible Gateway and copy and paste something? Or, you know, without actually, you know, pulling out the legal pad and writing out the notes. And I was, I was watching it. We were recording this uh, conversation here just a few days after Tim Keller passed away. And someone has a picture going around. I don't know if you've seen this, uh, John, of Tim Tim Keller used to write out his sermon. He would preach it all off of one eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And it was usually, here's a photocopy of the text of scripture and then all of his notes written all over it and handwritten in different color ink. And I thought, wow, isn't that incredible? But in terms of the preparation for it, the retention is so much better when you are literally pressing into the paper, when you've got that. And, and talk about free from distractions, John. I, we, I was at the hospital over the weekend. A family member of ours had uh, taken ill and needed hospitalization. So I was there with uh, one of my daughters and my son and my sister. We were there. And we had that moment. We were all sitting in the waiting room, waiting to get our chance to go and see the person in intensive care. And every phone was out and conversations were happening. But I was texting another daughter who lives in a different state about the fact this person was in the hospital. And we were having that conversation, but every eye was focused on a screen. And you have to wonder, why is there such a lack of peace in the world well, maybe that might have answered the question right there. Talk about that, if you would, what, how, how prevalent this is and what we need to do to kind of break that pattern. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, you just said it there. You know, everywhere we go, um, you know, restaurants, wherever, we, we look around and we see, you know, everyone on their phones. And, um, you know, I know uh, Ben Sass, who was a Nebraska senator and now, you know, president of University of Florida, um, he talks about the loneliness epidemic and just mm-hmm. seeing kind of increased statistics of people feeling alone. It's it's strange because we are so connected in so many ways and we can connect through various social media platforms. And again, I don't want to discredit uh, some of the ways in which those can foster relationships. But I, I think all of us are kind of feeling that, that it's not, you know, it's artificial um interaction, that it's not the physical kind of looking in someone's eyes and sitting there and having a conversation. And so, you know, in terms of what we can do, I mean, I think, you know, starting small um, with our families, um, trying to have screen-free zones, um, Mm -hmm. sitting at the dinner table together and just trying to look at each other and not allowing phones at the table. Um, Also, you know, as we go out to eat together, um, putting our phones away and just being with those that we're present with. And I just think, you know, not only if we're going out to eat with our family or with friends, other people are around and they can kind of see those examples and they might even um, pick up on that and, and, you know, attempt to do something like that. But then, you know, in our churches too, I think it's, it's something we can encourage more uh, to our families and, you know, to have that kind of, you know, sacred space when we come in a, a church building um, to interact differently with technology. Again, not saying technology is all bad, but just, 
maybe starting there in the home and, and the church as well. Dr. John Parrott is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. He's the author of the book, Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a fantastic conversation today with John Parrott, author of the book Social Media Pres- Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus, a great new book for young people, nothing but five-star ratings. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of this book to give away right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have two copies of the book to give away, 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, John Parrott and the book about social media pressure and the idea that young people, in many cases, are choosing to identify as transgender or LGBTQ, not so much because of the way they feel or the way they believe that their body is constructed, but they're being influenced mightily by social media. What can we in the body of Christ do to help the young people in our world, our kids and our grandkids, not succumb to social media pressure and to be able to find peace alongside Jesus in this world? 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Take a quick break. When we come back, more of my conversation with author John Parrott on social media pressure for kids. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Dr. John Parrott is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. He's the author of the book, Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. In, in the opening week of this study, you have uh, 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 certain attributes of God that a lot of people, it seems like anyway, anecdotally, are missing out on. When we talk about the loneliness epidemic or the number of kids who are uh, contemplating ending their life, I mean, even the number of kids who are are, are wondering about the things like their gender and you know how fluid that is, when Scripture is pretty clear that God creates us a in His image and b male or female. I mean, that that's that's scientifically non-negotiable, and yet there's more of this dysphoria that's going on right now. Uh, in the opening week, you talk about God's presence, God's constancy, His comfort. Talk about why it was important to start there when you're trying to help people find peace alongside Jesus? Yeah, no, great question. I think kind of the first aspect of that, and just maybe the simplest answer is, you know, it all starts with God, that everything comes from Him. And so I wanted sort of this devotion reminding us uh, that that 
what we cannot really talk about social media until we have a proper understanding of who he is. And not only that, but then as you think of some of the, the negative fruit that's coming out from social media, um, anxiety, depression, addiction, things like that, um, reminding students and, and us as well um, that God is, is with us, that God promises um, to be walking alongside us in the midst of, of difficulty, in the midst of you know, depression and anxiety, uh, to, to be reminded that, that he's always there. And, you know, in the very first um, entry of this devotional, it's just reminding students of, you know, God's presence, both the encouraging aspect of that, again, that he promises he will never leave us or forsake us, but then also kind of in the warning aspect of that, too, that, you know, there, there's so much that's posted online that, could be interpreted as bullying or just being harsh to other people or, um, you know, we even talk about pornography at a certain part of this devotional. And so to remind students that when they're on, you know, God is watching them, that they're, whatever they're posting, mm-hmm. it is uh, in his presence, uh, that he sees all things, that he's, you know, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, you know, all powerful. Um and so just trying to get students to, to think about that, um, to hopefully shape some of their online engagement. I like the term that you use, Dr. John Parrott, uh, in the book, Social Media Pressure. You talk about the alongsiders, as in somebody who comes alongside uh, a younger person, and you're talking about mentoring you know, in a way that oftentimes I would imagine there might be some of our bottom line show crowd who say, well, yeah, I've got grandkids that age, for example, but... I don't know if I can come alongside because I don't get it. I don't know what TikTok is. I don't know how social media works. I don't know why all of this is so important to them. Talk about some of the traits that you think an alongsider really needs to have that, that will be mutually beneficial for the people that are taking this. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up. Um, so this, this book, Social Media Pressure, is the second in a series of devotionals. And so the first one is Alongside Jesus, and that was written uh, by Drew Hill. And he designed kind of a template for this, and he came up with that alongsider. And, uh, yeah, I just I love the idea behind it for a student to pick up this devotional, uh, but then to also pick an older mentor in their life or vice versa, an adult, to pass this along to a student and I encourage them that they'll be there alongside her. Um, but, to, you know, there's four entries a week. And so um, the design of some of that, to only have four entries a week, is one, these entries are a little bit longer, but there's only four of them. And so it gives students grace days that if they get behind. But at the very end of each week, there's questions that the alongsider can use um, to, to, again, come alongside the, this uh, child, this students, um, whoever they may be, it could be a coach, a teacher, or an alongsider, uh, but to ask them these various questions at the end of each week. And so uh, for those, as you were kind of mentioning, uh, mentors who might feel a little intimidated by this, uh, there's questions in the devotional that can help them. But I really think, you know, teens, they long for adult interaction. And mm-hmm. uh, in this culture, they're often starved of adult interaction. And so if an older adult, you know, knows a, a child in their church, for example, and says, "Hey, look, I, I want to start going through this with you," I, I just think so many teens would jump at that opportunity, even if the adult doesn't know what TikTok is or understand right, certain right. things. Just the fact—I mean, as I look back on my own life, and I think of the adults that actually took time to listen to me and to talk to me and to invest in my spiritual development. Um, I, 
still look back on them with fondness and thank the Lord for them. And so that's just an encouragement to anyone out there listening who thinks, you know, this topic I don't know a whole lot about, and so I don't know what I'd be able to offer. Well, the book should help, but then also just not underestimating the power of just being present in a student's life and how the Lord can use that. You know, that's a, that, that last statement in particular, uh, Dr. John Parrott, I think really accentuates what you're driving at with this book. And ironically, it's a bound book about social media, which is, you know, all on devices and things of that nature. But it, it, it underscores the need for having the other types of media, not because we, were, we long for the good old days, but because there's really something emotionally, psychologically, psychosomatically that happens to each of us. And it's amazing how the presence of the parent, the presence of the grandparent, the presence of the teacher, coach, whomever that might be, it really does leave a lasting impression on the young person, even if they don't get all the uh, the technology right, as it were. And uh, I'm grateful that you brought that up. Dr. John Parrott, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the book is called Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. At the end of this program, John, what were you hoping for? What are you anticipating? What are you hearing from people who are saying, hey, I did all 20 segments in this uh, study, and wow, I didn't realize that, you know, this was the big change that I needed to make. What what kind of feedback are you getting? Yeah, I think the first, and we've kind of already mentioned it, but um, people saying, okay, this is written for teens, but I'm an adult and I needed to hear this as well. And so, yeah. you know, although this is written for teens and trying to help them interact with social media in a healthy way, you know, it's something for adults too. And so that's kind of the the big feedback that I've heard. Um, I think kind of the other that's just somewhat related to that is just, you know, we've we've become, I don't know if calloused is too hard of a word, but uh, just what what's become normal in our interactions through social media and our own smartphones um, it is sometimes surprising. And so I think the book just kind of helps maybe highlight uh, some of what uh, we've come to accept kind of culturally, our interactions with smartphones and just, um, you know, hum humbles us as we, we think about it. But I hope it's done in, in grace uh, to help people see that, you know, um, we all struggle uh, with these devices. These are, and as I want to continue to say, these are amazing gifts from the Lord and yes. we as Christians should, should love technology, and we can use it, and we should, but it's just like any other gift, and so we must steward it well. And so that's just kind of the, the thread maybe that's running through this whole devotional is one of stewardship, to see these things as a gift, but then to also think through um, you know, our own practices with these devices and ways in which we might, might be able to improve those. Because you know, an aspect of this devotion that we haven't gotten to touch on yet is the alongside practice, that at the end of each mm -hmm. entry, there's uh, a practice for uh, the reader to use. And really, this is just kind of a, like an action item. And so, you know, thinking of teens specifically, they may finish an entry, and then it's kind of them thinking, okay, so what? So what do I do now? And so yeah. the practice just gives them something tangible to, to leave that entry and to think, okay, here is something I want to begin doing or a change that I would like to make to, to steward this more faithfully. Um, so I think those are some things that just come to mind. Well, as, a, as an alongsider myself, and I just didn't know that that was what the title was, I'm grateful to have a resource like this that can help in these areas, especially, like I mentioned, if, you, uh, if you've got kids in this age range, then this is a great resource. But if you have grandchildren and you want to be that grandparent, 
who says, okay, I'm going to walk along the social media thing with you, uh, trust me, uh, this is a great resource to have. Dr. John Parrott, uh, the book is called Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, John, great to get to know you, sir. And uh, we're praying for you and your wife and all five of your kids. My goodness. I mean, that's, uh, sure. that qu- that quiver, sometimes the arrows start turning on the one who's the marksman. So I appreciate you taking the time to spend time with us today here on The Bottom Line to talk about this new book. God bless you, sir. Roger, yeah, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Well, what a powerful conversation indeed, and so grateful to have time with John Parrott today here on The Bottom Line Show to talk about his brand new book called Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. When you compare that uh, with, you know, in terms of how do you have good social media relationships uh, online in this current day and age, when so many young people are being literally elbowed, pushed, forced into transgender ideologies being the norm, uh, this is a great resource to have, and we have two copies. It's Everyone Wednesday. We have two copies of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, two copies of John Parrott's book, Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. One thing we do read, I mentioned the article on transgenderism came from the Washington Stand, which is the publication of the Family Research Council, and it's a good one. The first time I was made aware of this publication was through our dear friend, Lila Gilbert, who's been working for FRC now for a couple of years in a variety of different capacities. She's an author, she's a researcher. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Lila low many years ago when she had helped to write a book on single parenting this is like 15 years ago and working with uh homeward and the, the ministry of jim burns leela has authored or co-authored more than 60 books of course her tour de force is saturday people sunday people israel through the eyes of a christian sojourner uh, leela had always wanted to go to israel and she had an opportunity to work on a book and so she rented an apartment in jerusalem and wound up staying there for 10 years Uh, She currently serves as Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at Family Research Council and still remains a fellow at the Hudson Institute's Center for Religious Freedom. Uh, She recently published a book on the increase in global persecution and the number of Christians who are actually living out what she calls heroic faith in the face of global persecution for being Christian. The book Heroic Faith is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line here on this Everyone Wednesday, where everyone's going to win something. Uh, had a chance to talk to Leela about this book when it first came out. Let's revisit that conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. 
She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Well, it's no secret that uh, global persecution has just uh, been skyrocketing. And we realized that, of course, for many, many years, we in the body of Christ uh, you know, knew that uh, there were other uh, people of faith traditions who were suffering dramatically. And then a few years ago, it seemed like we landed in the crosshairs as well. Uh, global persecution of Christians it becomes literally more ominous with every passing year. Unfortunately, we have uh, someone who chronicles this, who keeps a tab on it for us, and uh, has written a brand new book about this phenomenon. Leela Gilbert is an award-winning writer, the co-author or author of more than 60 books. You know the title, Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel Through the Eyes of a Christian Sojourner. She's also the co-author of Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians, co-authored with Nina Shea and, and Paul Marshall. Leela serves as Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at Family Research Council and continues her work at Hudson Institute's Center for Religious Freedom. She's the co-author of a brand new book called Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution, which we have up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Leela Gilbert, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much. It's good to talk to you again. It's good to hear your voice. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, I really appreciated the fact that we knew each other before you lived in Israel. We would have some great conversations when you were in Israel. I'm glad you're back in the States because it's just easier to navigate the time differences. I mean, I know you love being there, but I mean, it's just, it's wonderful to be able to say, hey, at least we know what time zone we're in when we're talking to each other. I think that's really, that's, <laughs> no, that's really, right. Yeah. It's hey, easier talk about, to do the math. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Three hours is a lot easier to figure out than is it eight or is it nine or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, but, exactly. But, but I should let our bottom line listeners know that when she lived in Israel, Leela did many late night phone calls with us just to uh, uh, get keep us up to date on what was happening there. Well, talk about the new book, the new book, Heroic Faith. It talks about the global persecution that's escalated all over the world. And you kind of have a bird's eye view of what's happening here. Uh, what was the impetus for writing this book at this time? Well, Family Research Council, where I started working a couple of years ago as a senior fellow, um, it came up in conversations there. And General Boykin is there, and I've done some work with him on other projects. And also Ariel Del Turco, who's also a co-author, um, was working on some of the Asia stuff. So we kind of got our heads together on this. It really wasn't my idea, but I was happy to participate because the books I've done on the subject before are a little out of date now, unfortunately, as things have gotten worse. So the three of us worked together, and it was interesting to work with General Boykin because he brings some international military and diplomatic information to the table, which doesn't usually show up in these books and, and what America can do and so forth. So I thought it was really a good opportunity. Yeah, well, it, it's a it's a fantastic resource, and I'm glad you brought up that General Boykin's uh, involvement here too, because I don't know how many of our listeners realize that things are tough now for Christians all over the world. They could have been a lot tougher uh, maybe six years ago. We did have a regime change in leadership here in the U.S. that seemed to make things a bit better when it came to uh, religious liberty and you know the the attacks on Christians, or did it make it worse? What what was the Trump presidency like in terms of uh, enhancing? Uh, kind of even emboldening those who are persecuting Christians now was it was it kind of a buffer or and that's since been kind of released now that we have a new administration in place 
Well, what's happened is that um, a lot of the policies that uh, Mike Pompeo put forward when he was Secretary of State were really good. But there, to enact on those things is another matter, and and they've been dropped by the present administration. So, you know, the, the worst example is the country of particular concern designation that was put on Nigeria, which is one of the worst bloodbaths in the world right now mm-hmm. for Christians. And it, it was put in place so that sanctions could be applied. Certain things can be done with a CPC category in terms of the State Department that can't be done without it. And it, is, it was never acted on. So that place has gotten considerably worse. So I think there were a lot of efforts made, but I don't know that that much resulted from them. Now, this administration is not nearly, in fact, they're almost openly against efforts for international religious freedom that were put in place previously. That's unfortunate to hear. Uh, Leela Gilbert is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She's the co-author of the brand new book called Heroic Faith. Hope Amid Global Persecution. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I like the fact that for someone who says, boy, I really don't want a lot of heavy reading, this book only has four chapters, I should point out. But they're very, they're very long and they're very, very involved. And I appreciate that, too, especially when you talk about the places in Africa. We hear about Nigeria and how horrible things are. I have friends, actually, Dennis Wilson, one of our main sponsors here at The Bottom Line Show, uh, has a real heart for Burkina Faso and Ivory Coast and a lot of places. Talk about the the Islamic versus the Islamist presence there, because when we see what's happening, um, there are we hear the stories, and I try to share as many of them as I can here on the Bottom Line Show, about people in parts of Africa, especially where there's this genocide going on. But uh, what are the forces like? Help us understand what's really going on. So not just an isolated incident of a pastor or a priest who was you know, gunned down in the middle of a worship service, but kind of give us maybe more of a macro uh, sense, Lila Gilbert, of what's going on in Africa. Well, what's going on in Africa is alarming because there's really no pushback anywhere from major countries. Uh, France has pulled out. I mean, we have people doing industry and various mining things going on in in those places. But Islamism has organized itself. Uh, the It's really ISIS that's sweeping across from west to east or vice versa. And mm-hmm. now we have ISWAP in Nigeria, which is dealing with the the area in the Sahel, we have uh, the same kind of thing happening um, in East Africa. And so there's a tremendous Islamist movement of violence and death. And I just saw today in Mozambique that Christians were pulled off a bus or some vehicle. Uh, they had to say whether they were Christian or Muslim. The Christians mm. were blindfolded and killed and uh, their mm. throats were slit. And this was in the news today. Oh. And this is going on all across Africa and there are Christians, Christian countries such as Nigeria, or excuse me, such as uh, Uganda, and, and Nigeria is half Christian, and Kenya is largely Christian. But the pushback is against radical violence, and it isn't always effective because it's it's just so ugly and so violent. And it's hard for me to believe how bad it is. And when I hear people talking about America being persecuted, I mean, we are discriminated against as Christians here. And certainly there are things in motion now that could make things a lot worse. But when you look at the bloodbath across the world at the hand of Islamists and the former communist regimes, we live like kings here and we need to put what we have in freedom to work to help our brothers and sisters across the world. 
it's amazing how many of us, and I, I'm guilty of this, and I know of a lot of our listeners, if we were honest with the, ourselves and with each other, we would say, you know, it, sometimes it is easier to turn your attention to a religious liberty case here in the U.S. and say, well, I'm glad we you know, were able to get some kind of measure of you know, justice, if you will. And then when you see the other, it can be so numbing that you, you have a hard time processing it. And Lila Gilbert, I'm so grateful that you are doing the work that you're doing um, in the many different uh, capacities that you have, uh, not only as the uh, uh, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at Family Research Council, but you're working with the Hudson Institute and the Center for Religious Freedom there. The brand new book that Leela Gilbert is the co-author of is Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Leela, I really want to get into some of these other areas, too, uh, and they're, they're all, too, uh, all too large to cover in 90 seconds. So why don't we take a quick break here? We'll come back and kind of have a supersized, expanded segment on the other side of this break, talk about Afghanistan, talk about Asia, and talk about the Middle East as well. Uh, you know, we, we hear that passage of Scripture in our head, wars and rumors of wars, and sometimes our, we immediately bring our thoughts right to the Middle East. We'll get Leela Gilbert's firsthand eyewitness account of the global persecution of Christians all over the world, uh, but especially in those areas, coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. If it seems like religious persecution is in full effect worldwide, it is. And religious persecution against Christians is at an all-time high from Asia to Africa, the Middle East, to Europe, and beyond. It becomes more ominous every year, and yet we do know that every year we see the increase in persecution. We also know that we're closer to the Lord's return. Leela Gilbert is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Leela is the author of an outstanding book called Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It is Everyone Wednesday, so everybody who calls is going to win something. Why not you be the winner of this book? 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And while you're on the line with us, be sure you also ask about the outstanding book from John Parrott uh, that talks about this issue of social media influence. You wonder how many people in the world are actually persecuting Christians simply because they believe that Christianity is an anathema in the culture. 
Uh, John Parrott has written a book called Social Media Pressure, Finding Peace Alongside Jesus. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And this is from uh, what Dr. Parrott does is the Director of Resources for Reformed Youth Ministry. Uh, this book is really taken off and we've got a couple copies we're giving away between now and the top of the hour 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line jesus tells us in scripture uh, the greater love hath no one than he or she be willing to lay down his life for his or her friends and it is truly the definition of a hero is somebody who does just that, someone who takes the proverbial bullet for someone. We are living in a time when there are many people who are stepping up heroically. I think of my friend and a former medical doctor, Dr. John Chang, who 14 months ago took a bullet, literally ran at an armed gunman who had finagled his way into his mother, to John's mother's church's uh, gathering here in Laguna Woods, California. And um, had found a way to lock all the doors from the inside, brought some weapons, brought some homemade explosives. And since this was a Taiwanese Christian congregation, he felt the need to, uh, to end their existence because he didn't like Taiwan. He was very loyal to China. And when the gun came out and the gunshots were fired, there were five people total were injured in the shooting. But Dr. Chang literally ran to the battle. Uh, his training as a black belt in jiu-jitsu informed him that the only way to stop the enemy was to run at him. And he wound up taking three bullets that uh, mortally wounded him and ended his life. But you know what's so interesting? When you think about heroic faith of our brothers and sisters like Leela's writing about in the book Heroic Faith, in parts of the world where Christians are being starved, dragged to death, hung, uh, in prison for years in solitary confinement, simply for the crime of being Christian. And I say crime in air quotes. You have to ask the question, not that we have a death wish in this life per se, but A, don't we want to be with the Lord? Of course we do. So shouldn't we be more willing to say, hey, if it costs me my life here, what's the worst that can happen? But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, this life is but a vapor and the ultimate reward is eternal. So why do we spend so much time in making investments in what's happening right now without paying attention to what is really lasting and eternal? Some food for thought today here on this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. Uh, for our KCBC audience, you can enjoy the rest of your afternoon and Rabbi Schneider discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next for you. You can catch the rest of this interview on the Bottom Line Rewind at 7 or the Bottom Line Extra. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with Leela Gilbert about heroic faith amid global persecution. It's coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. Leela Gilbert is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Leela is a, an award-winning author. She's written or co-authored more than 60 books. And uh, some of the books that I'm about to mention, Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel Through the Eyes of a Christian Sojourner, and Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians. Uh, when you look at that work that was groundbreaking then, you look at this new book that's just now out called Heroic Faith and Hope Amid Global Persecution and realize if you use those books as kind of bookends, uh, you can see how things have gotten progressively worse. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Leela serving as the Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at Family Research Council. And Leela, during the break, we were talking about uh, the uprising in Iran right now. I know a lot of our listeners have seen the, the video of the women pushing back against the government leaders, uh, cutting their hair, ripping off and burning their hijabs. There's all sorts of uh, uh, 
movement happening in Iran right now. Talk about how much of this is, I mean, I, I guess by definition, because it's a theocracy, it's all religious persecution, is it not? Well, yes, the imposition of the hijab happened at the time of the revolution when the Ayatollahs overthrew the Shah and came in and took over the government. And that's been going on since 1979. And the hijab has been a symbol. Women are discriminated against in all radical Islamist countries. But there it's a very important symbol of the power of that particular government. And so when the women start showing a little hair here and there, whatever, a little bit of bangs, if they get the wrong guy seeing them, the wrong guard, the wrong uh, enforcer, they're going to be abused. And what happened was a young woman, beautiful young woman, who's a Kurdish uh, Iranian, uh, her hijab wasn't on correctly in the eyes of someone, and she was so badly beaten that her skull was fractured, and mm. she died. And the protest to that death is what has spurred this incredible outpouring of rage into the streets across the entire country of Iran. And yes, it's religious, and interestingly enough, for the first time, Christians are standing up against the regime and making it known that they're standing with the rest of the Iranian people. And they've put out a document, a signed document, and several groups have spoken up. And this is altogether new. Mm. It, it really is remarkable to see those who run the risk of also uh, enduring that kind of persecution, standing in solidarity. And this is a lot different, Leela Gilbert, than I remember uh, hearing from a lot of uh, millennials, maybe five, ten years ago, who had been... Uh, you know, there was the issue of uh, some of the Christian colleges were getting into trouble, it seemed like, because they were trying to recognize, you know, we're, we're honoring Ramadan and, you know, that, that type of stuff. And you'd hear these kids who said, oh, yeah, when I was in Iraq or Iran, you know, we did that type of thing. And they, they really didn't seem to understand that, you know, when you're there and you're dealing with that culture, uh, it's a big difference than bringing it to your Christian college here in the United States. But it's nice to see the Christians who are there and the Christians who are here praying and, and doing what they can to support um, is it is it too much to ask the church to focus on Iran as well as what's happening in Ukraine, for example, as well as what's happening in Afghanistan? And I mean that sincerely, Lila, because I know you, you follow a lot of this stuff, but sometimes I get the sense that we are a little too myopic. Maybe it's because we've got all these issues coming at us out of a fire hose and we're holding up a communion cup and trying to hang on to it. Well, that's well said. And, you know, I... I try to pray for these countries, and I find myself in tears sometimes because there's so many awful situations. Yes, Ukraine is, is one of them, but that's not even the level of religious persecution that we're seeing in Afghanistan, for example, where mm -hmm. any Christian that's identified in Afghanistan is on the run. They are running from safe house to safe house, and it's very hard to evacuate them now. It's, it was easier when we had aircraft and people were getting put on for various reasons. Now they have to be smuggled out or somehow gotten out of the country. And it's, it's very, very bad there. It's, a, it's the worst, according to Open Doors, in the world. And I think people would argue that North Korea is the worst in the world, which may be true. I, we can't know. But there are places that are so bad. Nigeria is another one, a completely different scenario. But the bloodbath of, you know, churches being attacked, people, little children being left mutilated behind. I struggle more with the survivors in, in, in those places because they're left. They have no, no place to go. They're hurt. They're injured. They're blinded sometimes. They lose a, a limb. And they're left behind after everyone else is slaughtered. And, and mm. you know, I, 
I almost feel worse for them because the others are, uh, the, the believers are with the Lord. But, yeah, yeah. you know, what happens to the rest? So it's, the world is very, very heartbreaking. And I don't know, I go from one to the other praying and trying to write about them, but I can't even cover everything. Hmm. There's only one Leela Gilbert, and we I mean that as a compliment, but uh, sometimes I wish we had an army of you, Leela, <laughs> to take in what you're taking in and to write the things that you do. The brand new book, Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. Uh, the link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We haven't talked about Asia yet, uh, Leela, and I'm curious as to uh, what your take is. I mean, obviously, there's a huge section in your book about uh, the persecution of Christians in the Asian uh, part of the world. Where do you begin? with dealing with the, that kind of persecution. It seems like they're just getting hammered from everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's bad there. And uh, our, one of my co-authors, Ariel Del Turco, is actually over there right now. And mm. she's been studying the state of North Korea with a group of people from here that they are connected. She's been in Korea. Now she's in Thailand and looking at Burma, looking at what's happening there, which is also very political and it's anti-religious. It's not, I, I think Christians are targeted because they are Christians. But wherever you look, you know, it's either a communist or ex-former communist regime, a dictatorship, or radical Muslims. And so you have Pakistan, which is crazed of enforcement of blasphemy laws. And, and that's just insanity. The mobs rule. Even if the court uh, exonerates someone for blasphemy, the, somebody's waiting outside the courthouse to kill them. Uh, you right. know, everywhere you look, you see these, those are the two primary causes are either dictatorships and regimes that uh, are communist and godless, or you have this Islamist stuff. So that's the primary sources. And it's in so many countries, it's almost impossible for me to name them all. Mm. It's amazing to think about uh, that, that space that area and yet when we saw the russian invasion of ukraine for example people were trying to figure out okay was russia russia china lining up i mean you know are, the, are all the pieces getting into place one of the things that you do in this book is to tell us these incredible stories of what it's like to be a christian in pakistan as you mentioned or in you know china or north korea the, these different places and at the same time though there's a there's a huge thread of hope i mean a lot of people i'm sure might look at this and say i don't know leela gilbert if i could handle reading your book simply because it, it, it's so ominous and, and so difficult to bear but this is a very hope-filled uh resource so talk about how these stories are even though you're trying to tell the the whole truth about what's going on it really does reflect the hope of christ in the middle of all of these uh, incidents of persecution well these people love jesus to the death and they rejoice and sing praises to him in the face of danger mm. and that's because they're not so attached to this world that they can't possibly risk anything and i right. think what we don't fully grasp is the freedom there is in knowing where you're going, knowing that the Bible is true, knowing that the story of the martyrs in the book of Revelation with their white robes and, and their palm fronds is, is where these people are planning to be. And I, we just don't get it here. I mean, we're so entrenched in our comfortable lives and in our, you know, we have nice churches. We, 
certainly things go wrong here. I'm not trying to diminish that, but we can't even understand the freedom that comes in, you know, as the sign says, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Yes, right. Uh, yeah. From that noted theologian, <laughs> um, Chris Christofferson. Yeah, I, I hear you. That's exactly. Sure. <laughs> Who actually has made some good points in some of his songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's, that's how I understand it is, is the freedom uh, that there is in really uh, loving the Lord, wanting to live for him, wanting to bear witness for him, being courageous to start home churches. I mean, these people are so brave, and they know that their lives are at risk, but they do it because of their love for the Lord, and many of them are converts. You know, the Muslim, as you know, I know you've talked about this, the Muslim world is being swept by conversions from Islam to Christianity yes. because of the whole because of the joy, because of what it offers, and the peace of mind. So, you know, we we need to shift gears. We're like the Book of Acts. You know, we can go out and, and minister to these people when they're being persecuted, but we can also learn tremendous lessons about what Christianity was at the beginning and continues to be today, a, a courageous and joyful exercise in the midst of trouble. I love it. I love it. And that, that real, true and lasting courage, oftentimes we think it's it, it's shown at the uh, at the ballot box or we think it's shown on the campaign trail. But oftentimes we forget the fact that the real courage is the, the Christian brother or sister who is facing literally risk of death every time they leave their home, if they could even stay in that home. And would that we in the uh, Western church, specifically here in the U.S., uh, turn our attention to our brothers and sisters and the greater, grander scheme that God is playing out in the redemption story uh, that's uh, reflected so beautifully in Leela Gilbert's book, Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. We have a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Leela, I know you've got a ton of things going on in your world right now, and so I'm grateful for any moment that we can get together. But thank you for this book. Thank you for the time that you spent with us today. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again on your next one. Uh, which I'm sure will have even greater impact uh, than the work that you're doing even right now, Leela. Thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. No, thank you, Roger. I appreciate you every time we talk. And that concludes my conversation with Leela Gilbert from the Family Research Council. Leela serves a very important capacity with FRC um, and the Washington Stand. She's been doing this for many, many years, and her current role uh, with the Family Research Council involves serving as the uh, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom at FRC. She also serves as a fellow at the Hudson Institute Center for Religious Freedom. She's written so many books on this topic of religious persecution. It was probably a decade ago that she wrote the book, Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel Through the Eyes of a Christian Sojourner. And that book was so powerful because Leela had, uh, had been contracted by someone to work on a book project. And so she decided, you know, I've never been to the Holy Land like this before, rented an apartment in Jerusalem, lived in Israel for, she thought would be a, enough time to write the book. And what wound up happening was because she was so enamored with what God was showing her there, she wrote Saturday People, Sunday People. Of course, the Saturday people being the Jews, the Sunday people being as Christians. And so she's my go-to when it comes to understanding the Middle East, whether it's a uh, uh, Rabbi Jason Sobel or uh, Joel Rosenberg has been on with us before, but Leela is our every woman eyes and ears. And then when she talked about the, she and Nina Shea were the first to really sound the alarm about the global assault on Christianity. And we've seen the reports from uh, uh, 
open doors in other places that even Amnesty International having to recognize, Amnesty International not being a faith-based organization, but even they recognize that what's happening in the Middle East in terms of persecution, Christians are the most persecuted people group now in the world as far as the Middle East goes. And it was Nina Shea and Leela Gilbert that started sounding that alarm along with Paul Marshall in the book called Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians. Leela's latest book talks about what's happening in the Middle East, and we do have a copy of it to give away. It's called Heroic Faith, Hope Amidst Global Persecution. There's a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy to give away today here on this Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We do have one copy of this book, but since it's Everyone Wednesday, ask Crystal if you don't get, uh, if you're not fortunate enough to have your name drawn to be the winner of this book, there are other things we can give you, and uh, we would be more than happy to give you as well. 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, we've been talking about courageous faith, people standing up to the transgender lobby, the, the, the people who have been trying to bully parents into scaring their children into having permanently mutilated bodies because of the transgender ideology that says we want kids to be confused. We don't want them to be able to reproduce naturally. We want them to be stuck on hormone replacement therapy for the rest of their lives. And what's really, truly scary is that there are a number of people who honestly believe that. On the other side of this break, though, we're going to talk about what heroism doesn't look like in in the sense that it's, it's very real and very understandable. And here we are five years after uh, one of the worst mass shootings at a school in American history. And one of the perpetrators of that crime is now standing trial. Now, what's interesting is it's not that he is standing trial for actively taking an active role in the shooting, but rather he's standing trial for not doing anything. We'll take a look at this amazing story coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Everyone, Wednesday edition of the program, and we're taking your calls at 800-227-5278 for a copy of Leela Gilbert's outstanding book called Heroic Faith. Hope amidst global persecution, and the global persecution in the Middle East of Christians is real. 
and we uh, commend this book to you. I uh, had a chance to revisit my conversation with Leela from when the book first came out, and we're giving away a copy of this book right now here on Everyone Wednesday. It's part of our cavalcade of prizes that we're giving away today here on The Bottom Line. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Uh, you may not have seen this story because it didn't quite make a ton of headlines. But if you remember back to Valentine's Day 2018, can you remember back that far? I, I'll be honest with you. The only reason I put it to you that way is because I don't. I don't know if this is a short-term memory thing from my heart surgery or if perhaps um, it's just a residual effect from the surgery itself. Uh, people will talk to me at church sometimes and say, hey, that guy you had on the other day on the show. And I will literally pull out my phone, get my Google calendar up and look and see who was on there because I spend so much time thinking about what we're doing next week and the week after that, that I don't often go back and go, yeah, that was a good interview. Oh, wow, I interviewed that person. <laughs> Tamara and I were talking the other day about a guest that we have coming up and has a book on the American Constitution or something like that. And the guy that we've had on in the past... Marshall something or other had a book with a similar title and cover this guy's name was Mark similar title and cover and she just chuckled we were talking on zoom and she said boy it's a good thing we have our digital calendars isn't it because otherwise this stuff would all just kind of get lost in the mix anyway if you want to do some googling we'll put an article up for you at the bottomlineshow.com about a trial that's been happening in Broward County Florida Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Valentine's Day 2018. You remember how horrible that day was when a gunman, a student at the school, entered the building and killed 17 people. Now, it was awful to hear that that had in fact happened and many people um, were all up in arms over the fact that you know it took police so long to get there and shouldn't we've had armed security on campus and and uh, in the classroom, and should the teachers be allowed to have concealed carry? That, there was a huge debate over that. But then, when we started looking at the actual police report, we discovered that there was, in fact, a school resource officer on campus at the moment of the shooting, a guy by the name of Scott Peterson. And if you look at the video, Scott Peterson was on campus had a weapon, could have confronted the shooter. He was literally uh, near the 1200 building at the school where the shooter had entered into. And he did nothing. As a matter of fact, he walked out. Um, he did not follow his active shooter training. He, instead of being outside and saying, wait, there's a report of an active shooter. It's my job to go in the buildings and start searching the buildings, searching the classrooms to find out where this guy is. Instead, this guy, Peterson, has been nicknamed the Coward of Broward because even though he was armed and even though he was on duty to help stop what became the deadliest mass shooting at a high school in American history, he did nothing. What is that line attributed to Edmund Burke? All it takes for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. Now, Peterson's defense attorneys claim that he did not know where the shots were coming from. He says that he has 20 different witnesses who will support his recount of that day. It was a very confusing day. In addition, get this, 
The defense says that under Florida law at the time, Mr. Peterson, even though he was an armed school resource officer who was there to protect the students, his defense team argues that he did not have a legal obligation to enter the building and confront the shooter. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't, I, I'm not interested in what the law says here so much as I am interested. I'm obviously interested in the law, but not so in, much interested in the law as I am as to what this guy's interpretation was. Your job, and I, this is one of those things, you had one job. You have training. You have active shooter training. You are a school resource officer. You are being paid by the state of Florida or by the county or by the school district. You're a public employee. Your job is to keep evil from entering the campus and harming children. Mr. Peterson was 55 years of age at the time and qualified for a $104,000 per year pension. And so after the week of media bad-mouthing, this guy was here, why didn't he do it? He decided that he would take the legal route for himself. He didn't want to face termination for what he did, so he resigned his position and retired effective February 23rd, 2018. He's now on trial. The hearings have begun. He stood by his actions after the shooting through his lawyer in a statement he said at the time quote the allegations that mr peterson was a coward and that his performance under the circumstances failed to meet the standards of police officers are patently untrue but you tell me Um, he says quite frankly i want the truth this is what scott peterson says i want the truth to come out I want people, I mean, if it's going to be through a trial, I'm, I'm ready for this. Not only the people in Florida, but also the people in the country, and most importantly, the families need to know the truth about what happened because unfortunately they were never told. One could only imagine what that's going to entail, but on the other side of this break, I want to talk about why his words and saying, hey, I want the truth to come out, really aren't necessarily entirely true. I'll explain why coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's Everyone Wednesday here at The Bottom Line. Please keep calling in. you got a couple minutes left to win either Leela Gilbert's book about heroic faith, 
Parrot's book on social media. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting because we've got the Scott Peterson case, not the Scott Peterson who murdered his wife and preborn child and is doing a double life sentence in California for that. We're talking about Scott Peterson, the school resource officer who was at Marjorie Stoneman High School in Parkland, Florida on February 14, 2018. Uh, he was a, a serving outside armed and when there was a report that there was an active shooter rather than go inside the building and look for him and apparently he was on duty right near the 1200 building where the shooter was taking place he said and i quote i didn't hear any shots and so he didn't go in the building kind of like in uvalde texas last year when you had all those deputies and sheriffs showing up and they all sat in the hallway and waited for someone to tell them to go in there are two kingdoms, brothers and sisters, that we live in. There's the temporal world, the world that we see, and there's the spiritual world. The spiritual world and our world are true home being in heaven. There are two choices for the spiritual world by the world way it's heaven and hell. When things are happening and we think about the words of the Lord's Prayer that oftentimes we pray by rote, we don't even think about what we're saying, you could say it in your sleep. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is being portrayed and played out perfectly, carried out perfectly in heaven every single day. On earth it's not. God gives us a temporal kingdom here with temporal rules, uh, governments, things like that, to keep all of mankind from killing each other. But the reality is there are people who are you know, in the body of Christ who can play by these rules knowing that it's for the greater good and other people who are outside the body of Christ who don't. When a man like Scott Peterson says, look, I was trained for this. I accepted this position knowing that one day this might happen. I was ready to literally give my life to protect these kids. And then the gunman shows up. And then the police officer with a weapon and the special training says, oh, you know, um, gosh, I didn't hear any gunfire, so I'm going to retire. I'm going to resign. Here's the deal. Scripture's very clear, and in the colloquialism of the day, actions speak louder than words. People talk a great game about God, talk a great game about religion, and more often than not, we hear people who talk that way, God calls them out for their inability to do the right thing at the right time. Greater love hath no one than you lay down your life for your friends, and what perfect opportunity than for a resource officer to take a bullet to stop the killing of 17 children. John Chang understood that at Laguna Woods and saved 50 people at a church. Scott Peterson didn't. And he says he wants the truth to come out in court. Well, brother, it's already come out in the most important court of all. And heaven help those of us, any of us, who would respond similarly to that grave danger without taking into consideration the fact that ultimately it's not a court of law and a jury of your peers that you have to try to convince you're right or wrong. Ultimately, there is one judge and he is righteous and true. He can't not lie. You cannot pull anything over, under, around, or through our Lord and Savior, our Heavenly Father. So bear that in mind, brothers and sisters, as the temporal temptation to come in and sin and try to eschew the law sometimes becomes greater than our desire to be able to fight it back. That's the bottom line.